0: Yeah. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. I'm your moderator Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. They're on high alert at the Capitol. It looks exactly like their regular alert at the Capitol. It's high new for Thursday, March 4th, 2021. Follow the podcast on Parlor and Gab at. I'm your moderator. Or on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. Join the discussion thread at t.me slash be reasonable discussion. And if you want to buy a shirt or something else to trigger people in your life or make you laugh a little, just go to www.cancelcouture.com and buy some stuff. I made it. They're my jokes. But you have license to use them as soon as you pay whatever they cost. Also, keep your eyes open for the next, well, no, not for the next. I was going to say you should keep your eyes open for the next 24 hours, but that would be physically really difficult and your eyes would get really dry. I think it would be uncomfortable. Keep your eyes open in the next 24 hours or so. Actor and comedian Jamie Kennedy is about to release our episode of his podcast called Hate to Break It To You. He put up a little teaser on his Instagram. His Instagram is at the Jamie Kennedy. And that little clip is about us discussing hate speech. But we did like two hours, and I hope the whole thing gets up. I don't know what he edited or didn't edit. Um, he's awesome, so I'm not thinking that he, like, tried to play it safe or anything. Um, but I really enjoyed doing his show, so I hope you guys will all check that out, and I think you'll have a laugh, and it's nice to know, for me, it was, at least it was nice to experience, and I think that my listeners will enjoy the fact that something more mainstream actually has a good amount of of my uh, not mainstream opinions on it. Um, so I hope that everybody listens to that and shares it with some friends. I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, so keep your eyes open for that. Now, today is the 43rd full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, even more so than Mitch McConnell and his wife, Elaine Chao. He is the patriarch of one of America's historically most corrupt families and the father of one of the most despicable sons you could ever have, who he also calls the smartest man he has ever met. And by smartest man he has ever met, He must be proud of Hunter for figuring out a way to have sex with his own dead brother's wife and her sister at the same time. To the point where they were all going to get a house together. Like a really sick version of Three's Company. So congratulations, America. You are great at sequels. Now, being that it is March 4th, and me being such a huge fan of the mainstream media to the point where I believe everything they say, I guess it's time to celebrate Trump's inauguration. So hallelujah, America has been restored. CNN and the other communist news networks have been drumming up some sort of really impotent, pointless fear for the last couple of weeks about another imminent attack against the U.S. Capitol, where people from imaginary QAnon groups were going to bomb the Capitol building during Joe Biden's State of the Union, which is also imaginary, and they were apparently trying to kill as many congressmen and Joe Biden as possible. And despite the fact that Q never mentioned March 4th, no one who is even marginally familiar with Q thought today was an important day. And Most of us who believe Joe Biden is a fake president don't anticipate some official unannounced surprise inauguration in any way. So no one has any idea of where this rumor actually came from, other than the fact that March 4th, I guess, was the historical date of the inauguration before it was moved up to January 20th. And so, you know, people have thrown that out there as a date, but no one really thought that was going to happen today. CNN not only took that and ran with it, and but when I say CNN, I mean all of the communist news networks, they just have the proper initials. But they ran with it. I guess they wanted to continue finding ways to scare the Obamis and Romneys, who hang on their every word. They just can't can't wait to hear what Don Lemon has to say that will scare them about threats of very violent insurrections or armed insurrections or racial riots or white supremacist violence or whatever else they're obsessed with. Obami's and Romney's are basically like all. The, uh, the, the parents and grandparents in M. Night Shyamalan's movie, The Village, where they are trying to instill this great fear of monsters in the forest so that none of the children ever venture out and try to see what's outside. And it turns out at the end, no spoilers, yes, spoilers, because the movie's like 20 years old, or maybe 15, but whatever. So at the outside of the forest, if you go through the very scary forest, where the very scary monsters don't live because they're not real, there's a fence. And once you climb over that fence, you find out that they're all just in a real, normal, modern world. And that it wasn't actually a period piece the whole time, even though you think it was the whole time. Surprise ending? Of course, it's M. Night Shyamalan. Some of the surprise endings are great. I actually do like The Village, but some of the surprise endings are like signs, and it's aliens that you can just pour water on, and then everything's okay. So, you know, they can't all be winners. But CNN and the other communist news networks needed more fear, More fear of Trump, more fear of Trump supporters, more fear of imaginary threats to the country that are somehow not posed by the people they vote for. Because the real threats to this country are the people that they vote for. If you watch CNN, you vote for people who are a direct dire threat to America. That's a fact. Trump supporters are not a threat to America. In fact, if you were to poll all of the people about how much they like America, you would find that Trump supporters, almost as a whole, really, really like America and want to see America continue and want to see America thrive. The communists who voted for Joe Biden and who support rioting all year long, as long as they're pretending to solve racism by doing it, those people actually don't like America. And they've never really liked America. They think that America was based on racism. And they think that America now is based on racism. And they want to get to their perfect utopian future, where everything is just perfect as soon as they eliminate everyone who disagrees with them. And they will tell you that this is nothing at all like Nazism. So the communist news networks have told everyone that today there was going to be this massive riot, this massive attack of the Capitol. And I guess the implication here is that Trump supporters are so stupid that they would imagine they could attack the U.S. Capitol, despite the fact that it is surrounded by fencing with razor wire and thousands of National Guard troops with weapons. What was the Plan here that they were going to teleport. But of course, their audience, their very, very smart, very educated, very intelligent, very informed audience, believes that Trump supporters are stupid enough to not only want violence against America, but to try to execute that violence with thousands of troops making sure that can't happen. And they don't ever think, hey, perhaps we're the stupid ones for believing that other adult human beings would actually be trying to do this. How stupid do you have to believe to imagine that after the false flag event of January 6th and the reaction to that that masses of trump supporters would be like you know what we should do we should try that thing they're accusing us of trying last time but we should do it now that the target in quotes is completely fortified so here we are on March 4th it's already mid afternoon on the East Coast, and there has been no attempt at violence, no attempt at attack, no attempt even at protest. There's literally nothing happening there. So once again, the media has clowned all the people who pay attention to it. How do they keep listening to CNN, to MSNBC, to the New York Times, to the Washington Post. How is it even possible that anyone is dumb enough to listen to them? Now, on our side, a lot of people are like, "Oh, they must be trying to set up some false flag event that they're going to that they're going to blame on Trump supporters." There has to be something, right? They're going to attempt something to justify all of this ridiculous reporting. There must be a plan here. And perhaps there was. But there are so few actual Trump supporters talking about anything concerning the Capitol and March 4th that they can't even apparently pull off their false flag. they <laughs> It's amazing how incompetent they are. It really is amazing to me. But, you know, CNN can't just go ahead and admit that they made the whole thing up. So, of course, they're still reporting on it. This morning, CNN, 11 a.m. Eastern, after it should be totally apparent that nothing's going to happen, but they write an article Fed's on high alert Thursday after warnings about potential threats to U.S. capital. Warnings about potential threats. Got it. And naturally, it took two reporters from CNN to publish this brilliant article. Federal law enforcement is on high alert Thursday in the wake of an intelligence bulletin issued earlier this week about a group of violent militia extremists having discussed plans To take control of the U.S. Capitol and remove Democratic lawmakers on or around March 4th. Oh, you're giving yourself a bit of an out there, huh? So it could happen March 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th. I guess it could happen in June. And they'd still say, oh, yeah, that was what the the threat assessment was about. A date when some conspiracy theorists believe former President Donald Trump will be returning to the presidency. Who are those conspiracy theorists, one might ask? Is it Brian Stelter? Is it Maggie Haberman? Is it Chris Cuomo? U.S. officials on Wednesday alerted lawmakers to a potential threat. So earlier this week is yesterday. Is that what you're saying? Got it for which security has been enhanced as a precaution. No, it wasn't. Security has been like that for nearly two months now. The House changed its schedule in light of warnings from U.S. Capitol Police, moving a vote planned for Thursday to Wednesday night to avoid being in session on March 4th. Oh, those tricky Democrats. They foiled it. Rats foiled again the Senate is still expected to be in session debating the COVID-19 relief bill. Oh, got it. So the House changed their schedule based on warnings from the Capitol Police. Now, who is basically in control of the Capitol Police? I'm I'm stroking my beard here in deep thought, very deep thought, like I am... Uh, a Confucius-like figure, a figure from ancient Japanese art where they have the beautiful long beard. Oh yeah, it's Nancy Pelosi and the Sergeant of Arms. Those are the people that had the whole security mishap on, on January 6th. That's what we're finding out, is it not? Of course it wasn't Trump or the Secretary of Defense who actually kept National Guard troops from responding to January 6th, though the Democrat impeachment managers tried their best to pin it on them. And you'll remember that as soon as the option for witnesses was proposed, the Republicans said, oh, cool, well, we'll just call Nancy Pelosi in and have her testify. And then the whole witness thing kind of fell apart for Democrats, didn't it? Nancy Pelosi changed the House schedule and created these warnings. And by the way, now they're asking for another two months of the National Guard presence surrounding the Capitol. They say that the Capitol Police is requesting this, but let's be honest here. Nancy Pelosi is requesting this, and then the Capitol Police reiterates the request so that it can sound to the public like the security forces, the intelligence forces are the ones who say that there is a very, very scary threat of very, very violent threats from very, very Trump supporters who are making threats. Threat. But the Senate is still going ahead with business as usual. So I guess they have a A different view on the very, very scariness of the very threat. The joint warning from the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security on Tuesday, oh, it's on Tuesday now? Well, that's strange. (laughs) So, So it was earlier this week, then it was Wednesday, now it's Tuesday. Or maybe they just have all these warnings and they're making it sound more serious by making it seem like there are more warnings. However many warnings there were, they're basically, by reporting it this way and by Pelosi operating the way she is, they're basically making all the intelligence gathering agencies in our government look as incompetent as Nancy Pelosi is. At what point does the public think, wow, maybe our intelligence organizations, the FBI and the CIA, maybe they're just really, really bad at their jobs or lying. So the joint warning from the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security on Tuesday underscores a broader effort by federal agencies to avoid repeating the mistakes made ahead of January 6th when officers were overtaken by a violent Pro Trump mob that stormed the Capitol. Those inte- intelligence sharing and planning failures have been laid bare over the last two months in several hearings and have been the focal point of criticism from lawmakers investigating the violent attack that left several people dead. Well, that is entirely narrative creation right there. Again, this responsibility is at the feet of Nancy Pelosi and the FBI. The incompetence is clear here. Also, the attack did not leave several people dead. And, you know, I know that that's a very controversial view, but until they actually give us cause of death, the actual reports, all of that, then there's no reason to believe any of this. The reporting on Brian Sicknick was dead wrong dead wrong. The suicides, in quotes, of other Capitol Police officers, well, those aren't a result of the attack. Those are more likely a result of Nancy Pelosi covering her very stupid tracks. Ashley Babbitt, if that is her real name, it's not even clear that she's dead. What in the world are we talking about here, and why do we have to keep pretending that CNN's reporting is accurate at all? The violent extremists also discussed plans to persuade thousands to travel to Washington, D.C. to participate in the March 4th plot, according to the Joint Intelligence Bulletin. Oh, really? So violent extremists, and I guess they know who these people are because they're aware of their discussion of plans to persuade, how how many different qualifications do we need in one sentence before we realize that they are not describing a real action that anyone performed? To participate in the March 4th plot. So are they participating in the plot or are they participating in an attack? One source noted to CNN that it is mostly online talk and not necessarily an indication anyone is coming to Washington to act on it. So maybe that source, instead of talking to CNN, should talk to the FBI and to the Capitol Police and let them know that it's mostly online talk and not an indication anyone was actually coming. And if there's no indication that no one is coming, then we certainly don't need thousands of National Guard troops on high alert. Some of the conspiracy theorists believe that the former president will be inaugurated on March 4th, according to the Joint Bulletin. How about finding anyone who believes that, who doesn't, receive a paycheck from a communist news network. That would be interesting. Between 1793 and 1933, inauguration often fell on March 4th or a surrounding date. Oh, got it, okay. U.S. Capitol Police Acting Chief Yogananda Pittman told Congress earlier Wednesday that her department had, quote-unquote, concerning intelligence regarding the next few days in Congress but said it wouldn't be, quote, prudent of her to share the, quote, law enforcement sensitive intelligence in a public hearing or public format. Yes, prudence. Always the first concern of the FBI, the U.S. Capitol Police, and Nancy Pelosi. Pittman assured lawmakers, though, that her department is in an enhanced Security posture, and that the National Guard and Capitol Police have been briefed on what to expect in the coming days. Well, I hope that they were. And if they were, I hope the briefing was you should expect more of the same that you've been doing for the last two months, which is absolutely nothing except being treated like shit by Democrats, including your usurper fake president. The other night, I didn't talk about this yesterday, but the other night, there was actually a report that the troops are regularly being served uncooked food. And that some of the food that was served to the Michigan National Guard contained metal shavings. Does someone want to tell me how that happens? Gretchen Whitmer is now even thinking about pulling the Michigan National Guard troops stationed there back to Michigan. I mean, as she should, obviously, and so should all of the other governors of all of the other states, because what's happening down there is ridiculous. And it's also offensive that are, that National Guard troops are being treated like that. And I'm not trying to do the uh, the thing where, oh, I get extra credit for saying nice things about the troops. That's not what I'm trying to do at all. I am saying that real actual people, despite their status as troops, should not be taken from their normal lives, put into that city for political propaganda purposes, then treated like less than human, and then fed food with metal shavings in it. It doesn't matter whether or not they're troops, they should not be treated like that. No one should be treated like that. In fact, maybe. Someone should ask Jen Psaki why they're keeping troops in cages. That's essentially what's happening, is it not? They are surrounded by a metal fence. They're not allowed to leave. They're getting served terrible food. They're being made to sleep in a freezing cold parking garage. They're barely being fed when the food's not tainted with metal shavings. So, really, Don't we have something of a border crisis here between America and that little foreign enclave surrounded by fencing and razor wire in Washington? Seems like there should be some outrage on the left. In fact, didn't Joe Biden just reopen the kids in cages facility and put kids back in those same cages and shipping containers? My, my, my. That's weird. How does all this happen when everybody knows that all the bad things happened because Orange Man bad? And now I'm going to skip that little middle section about how everyone in the new administration is very worried about how bad the communication was in the old administration and jump down to the really juicy part of this piece of propaganda election fraud conspiracies. Perceived election fraud and other conspiracy theories associated with the presidential transition may contribute to violence with little or no warning, according to the Bulletin, which is part of a series of intelligence products to highlight potential domestic violent extremist threats to the Washington, D.C. region. So once again, we have very violent extremist threats that just appear in Washington D.C. with literal with little or no warning. Now, I feel like I am a a card carrying member of the MAGA community at this point. I had never intended that, but that's how things work out sometimes. And if the rest of y'all have teleporters I want to know about it and I'm not trying to go to Washington DC with little or no warning although you can just use a plane for that I suppose but if there are teleporters I would really really like one and I feel like I've at least earned three percent of a tele a teleporter like maybe we can have some sort of timeshare or something Given that the Capitol complex is currently fortified like a military installation, I don't anticipate any successful attacks against the property, said Brian Harrell, the former assistant secretary for infrastructure protection at DHS. However, all threats should be taken seriously and investigations launched against those who would call for violence. We continue to see far-right extremist groups that are fueled by misinformation and conspiracy theories quickly become the most dangerous threat to society. Well, the truth is, no, we haven't seen that anywhere ever. The only threat of political violence in this country that has made it into the mainstream and affected people's lives on any large scale whatsoever is the threat posed by Antifa and Black Lives Matter and literally nobody else. In the current environment, you really cannot underestimate the potential that, can, that an individual or a small group of individuals will engage in violence because they believe a false narrative that they're seeing online. Well, that sentence would be extremely correct if he was talking about Black Lives Matter and Antifa. But he's not. And so the statement is totally wrong. In fact, the reverse of this statement would be a really interesting one. Let's try it out. You really can overestimate the potential that an individual or a small group of individuals will engage in violence because they believe a false narrative that they're seeing online. Well, Here are some false narratives that might cause people to get violent. George Floyd was killed because he was black. Breonna Taylor was killed because she was black. Jacob Blake was nearly killed because he was black. Those are three false narratives that caused a shit ton of violence. No one cared. Why is that? Oh, because it propels the Democrat narrative and the Democrat agenda and the Chinese agenda and the Obama-Romney-Commie agenda. And that's it. Those were false narratives and conspiracy theories. Here's another conspiracy theory that promoted political violence. Donald Trump colludes with Russia. That's a conspiracy theory. It's also a conspiracy that Joe Biden won the 2020 election legitimately. And that has led directly to a stripping of the rights of American people. So has the conspiracy theory about January 6th that Trump supporters staged an armed insurrection that was very deadly. That also did not happen. And we know that because they didn't seize any firearms. Including the ones that they actually did find on Black Lives Matter Antifa protesters, who they then let go free. The false narrative of a stolen election is still drawing the attention of domestic extremists, the official said, adding that there are people, quote, in the domestic extremist world who are calling for acts of violence in response to that narrative. Okay, you assholes. Name them. Show us who they are. Because at the Capitol on January 6th, the only people they found were people in a group called the Oath Keepers, which probably has eight members, and another group called the Three Percenters that might have as many as nine members. It's a threat that continues to be of concern to law enforcement. And I suspect that we are going to have to be focused on it for months to come, the official said. Well, yes, because Nancy Pelosi is going to keep pretending that you need to focus on it. The bulletin also notes that militia extremists, quote, have allegedly threatened an attack against the U.S. Capitol using explosives to kill as many members of Congress as possible during the upcoming State of the Union address, according to the U.S. Capitol Police Chief. Yes, According to Yogananda Pittman and no one else, and she's also the acting U.S. Capitol Police Chief because the one who had the job was forced to resign because of the disgraceful nonsense reported to and by the media around January 6th. Pittman warned last month that militia militia groups involved in the January 6th insurrection want to, quote, blow up the Capitol and, quote, kill as many members as possible when President Joe Biden addresses a joint session of Congress. Well, Joe Biden's never going to do that, so that part's imaginary, and the rest of that paragraph is just repeating the paragraph before. So, maybe with two reporters, you might be able to write an article that makes sense. Are you getting paid by the word, you communists? At the time, Pittman said law enforcement remains concerned about threats by known militia groups with a direct nexus to the State of the Union address. Well, the State of the Union already happened on Sunday, and YouTube has now. Deleted it from the platform. Of course, I'm talking about Trump's C- CPAC speech. They deleted the speech from the platform, and they suspended RSBN Right Side Broadcast Network for two weeks for having it on their platform, even though YouTube allowed them to show it live. And by the way, CNN's Whitney Wild, if that is her real name, and Jim Schudo. Contributed to that report. So they have Jim Sciutto, who's their like national security expert, even though he hosts a morning show called Mornings with Poppy and Jim. Four reporters said the same thing over and over again for 2,000 words. And I am sorry that I had to expose you to it. Now, a couple of quick things, and then I'm going to talk about the very, very dangerous conspiracy theory of election fraud, even though it isn't a conspiracy theory. Now, first, I know I've said it before, saying it again right now because they're doing great work, but make the National Pulse part of your like daily news diet, I guess we can say. They always have good stuff. They don't publish a ton of pieces. It's not really a breaking news site, but they do really, really excellent work in trying to explain what's actually going on. And they have a piece that everyone should check out here. I mentioned it a long time ago, but haven't since. Um, I like the fact that this is getting into a little bit more of the mainstream, but it's an article uh, called Uh, Fauci Conflict, Fauci's daughter is a software engineer at Twitter, a company which suspends people for disagreeing with her father. And that headline is dead on. Anthony Fauci's daughter is a Twitter employee. Read this. Also, Mitch McConnell is reportedly preparing a short list of replacements for himself, if he is unable to serve out his entire six-year term that he just started two months ago. Now, if you'll recall, Mitch McConnell looked for a while like he was going to lose in Kentucky. But despite the fact that Democrats spent something like 60 million dollars trying to get him out of office, and firing up the voter fraud machine, they they still lost. McConnell won because Trump came in and endorsed him. So Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, who apparently did not care too much about actually keeping the majority in the Senate when it came to the Georgia runoff elections, still ran anyway, rather than letting a younger candidate run for his Senate seat. He ran again. He was reinstalled. And two months into his term, he's considering who might replace him for the next how long? Nearly six years? It's oddly coincidental that the heat is starting to rise on his wife, Elaine Chao, and how she has abused her political power for the benefit of her father and China. But great job, Mitch. Now, we can't let a day pass without making fun of Andrew Cuomo. And I just saw this article from a couple of days ago in, of all places, the Daily Beast, a website that has Molly Jong Fast as an editor. Now, Molly Jong Fast is probably the poster moron for unequivocal love of Andrew Cuomo. She literally spent months from last spring through, I guess, probably now. I mean, I stopped paying attention to her completely once I got kicked off Twitter. But She used to follow me on my old account, and I started following her when I started my new account. That's not important. The only point I'm trying to make is I never had any good reason for following this person. But she went absolutely bonkers once COVID started. Like just huddled up in the corner of her New York rich girl apartment under her security blanket, like rage tweeting about Donald Trump. 24 hours a day, and just talking about how great Andrew Cuomo was. So I'm just going to read a few paragraphs of this piece. I can't believe the Daily Beast actually published it, but good for them. Go check it out if you want. The headline is Cuomo was always New York's bad guy. Here's why he was finally exposed by Ross Barkin. Why is it now in 2021 that so many people are finally waking up to the reality of Andrew Cuomo? A year ago, he was elevated to the status of hero in myth, so absurdly lauded, the magazine covers, the self-declared Cuomo sexuals, the Emmy, the sycophantic interviews conducted by his CNN host brother, that it could seem that there was little justice left in a world already so deranged. Hey, that's your editor you're talking about. Cuomo, once America's governor, like Rudy Giuliani was once America's mayor, seems to add new lines to his political obituary every day. There is the body count from coronavirus in New York, which maintains the country's second highest death toll. There are the nursing home bodies he refused to count, the first federal probe into how that information was hidden, the second federal probe into the nursing home tally, and the unhinged threats against a state lawmaker just trying to do his job. Now comes a new scandal. Two former members of his administration have accused him of sexual harassment. The first said he tried to forcibly kiss her. The second, who was just 25 when she worked for him, said he discussed sleeping with much younger women and effectively propositioned her for a relationship. There are calls for outside independent investigations, even for his impeachment or resignation. In his 10 years as governor, Cuomo has never been weaker. That is inarguable. Okay, so read this article. I don't want to spend too much more time on it, but it is amazing that the Daily Beast is now red-pilling communists about Andrew Cuomo a year after I tried to do it. That's how long it takes for these morons to wake up. And that's one of the most annoying things about being called a conspiracy theorist or about pretending that I don't have good sources or that I can't analyze information. The stuff that I say is coming, one way or another. I'm not saying 100% of the time. I'm not up my own ass. I'm saying that conspiracy theory is what the mainstream media likes to call information that happens to be true but they just don't want anyone to know about yet. That's the definition of conspiracy theory now. True information that they aren't ready to tell their audience and that they are going to make sure their audience does not believe even when it comes out from them. So we might as well get to the last conspiracy theory I'm going to tell you about today. And it's a conspiracy theory I told you about before. And it's a conspiracy theory that the news will probably tell you about in a couple of months. But for now, it's a conspiracy theory. This is from the Georgia Star News. This is John Frederick's uh, site. And it's great, by the way. And he's great, man. He's on War Room all the time. I love that guy. Uh, Four months after 2020 presidential election in Georgia. No chain of custody documents produced for 404,000 absentee ballots deposited in drop boxes. Fulton County, one of 35 scofflaw counties. Articles by Tiffany Morgan. Four months after the November 3rd, 2020 presidential election, state and county officials in Georgia have failed to produce a chain of custody documents for an estimated 404,691 vote-by-mail absentee ballots deposited in drop boxes and subsequently delivered to county registrars for counting. As of March 3rd, only 56 of Georgia's 159 counties have provided ballot transfer form data to the Georgia Star News. The number of absentee by mail ballots delivered to registrars in those 56 counties total only 195,309 or 32.5% of the estimated 600,000 absentee vote by mail ballots deposited in drop boxes and delivered to county registrars and counted in Georgia's 2020 presidential election. In other words, there is no chain of custody for 67.5%, an estimated 404,691 of the estimated 600,000 absentee vote-by-mail ballots deposited in drop boxes and delivered to county registrars and counted in Georgia's 2020 presidential election. And hey, Tiffany, you said, in other words, and then you said most of the same words. But we get it. The 2020 presidential election outcome in Georgia was decided by fewer than 12,000 votes, about 3% of the 404,000 absentee vote-by-mail ballots. Georgia County officials have made little progress in the two months since the Star News reported on January 3rd that 28 counties have provided ballot transfer forms documenting 140,628 vote by mail ballots deposited in drop boxes. In the two months between January 3rd and March 3rd, 28 additional counties responded, adding ballot transfer form documentation for an additional 54,719 ballots. Fulton County is one of 35 scofflaw counties in Georgia that have failed to comply with the Georgia Open Records Law and provide the Star News with absentee ballot drop box transfer forms they were required to maintain under the emergency rule passed by the Georgia State Election Board in July of 2020. So not only did Georgia totally reshape their laws with a simple consent decree. From Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, and Stacey Abrams, the walking voter fraud machine, they didn't even follow those rules. Skipping down. As the Star News reported, an estimated 600,000 absentee-by-mail ballots were delivered by Dropbox in the November 3rd presidential election, while an estimated 700,000 absentee ballots by mail were delivered through the United States Postal Service. So... 1.3 million ballots is the total of those two numbers, roughly, right? These are estimates. And nearly 50% of those came from Mark Zuckerberg drop boxes. The drop boxes were paid for by Mark Zuckerberg. These drop boxes were placed in areas where primarily Democrats would be voting. They were not placed in areas where Republicans would be voting. Zuckerberg's intention was clear. This is stuff that I've talked about before. I'm trying to give the short version right now. They only put drop boxes and gave resources to Republican-leaning counties, Republican-leaning areas, after it was pointed out to them, hey, you know, it's odd that a private company who has access to everyone's personal information is giving half a billion dollars to places around the country to get a certain result in this presidential election. And so Zuckerberg's group was like, oh, wait, that's not what we're doing. We would never want any hints of impropriety. So then they gave like 1% to the Republican areas so that the news would then have to report that they're giving resources to both Republican and Democrat counties, and then they'll just leave it alone after that. They make it sound even, even though it's not even. That's the most times I've ever said even in one sentence. The emergency rule required that every county election office maintain a ballot transfer form that documented the movement of every absentee by mail ballot placed in a drop box and delivered to the county registrar prior to the election. With the number of absentee ballots picked up from each drop box, the signature of the two-person team who picked up the ballots, the time of the pickup, and the time of the delivery of those ballots to the registrar, and the name of the registrar who received those ballots. So every single one of those is a small security measure that will attribute accountability directly to people who can then be held accountable if things go wrong. But none of that happened. A month after the 2020 general election, the Star News filed open records requests with all 159 counties requesting copies of absentee ballot transfer forms. The forms are documents used to account for the absentee ballots left in Dropbox locations across the state. Jumping down again. Now, more than 80 days after the first open records requests were issued, 37 of Georgia's counties have failed to provide any documentation that would produce the evidence of the lawful collection and accounting for the general election's estimated 600,000 absentee vote-by-mail ballots deposited in drop boxes. In all, chain of custody documents for more than two-thirds have not been provided by county officials. Throughout the state, approximately 300 drop boxes were used to collect absentee ballots in the November 2020 election. The drop boxes were made possible, in part, by donations to the counties from the Center for Tech and Civic Life, a 501c3 funded by Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan. Zuckerberg made a $350 million donation to the CTCL 2020 election efforts. That was actually an early number more money came in to that organization, and they ended up spending more than $500 million. I'm saying that, not this article. More than $24 million of CTCL funding was distributed to Fulton, Gwinnett, Cobb, and DeKalb counties alone. And look at that. Which counties are the ones that can't back up their votes? The ones where Ruby Freeman Just completely laundered votes, the ones where they don't have records, the ones where they shredded ballots, and the ones where they adjudicated an absurd number of ballots, up to 94% in Fulton County. That is unbelievable. These are the places where the fraud happened. And so it's no surprise that these are the places that won't give up their records or that maybe never kept. A chain of custody in the first place. This is an illegal election. Even if this weren't like by definition election fraud, this is still illegal. And all of those ballots should have been discarded and eventually will be. The drop boxes were authorized under Georgia election code, emergency rule, blah, 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 approved by the state election board in July, 2020, but notably not approved in a statute passed by the Georgia general assembly, which states that every absentee ballot dropbox collection team shall complete and sign a ballot transfer form upon removing ballots from the dropbox, which shall include the date, time, location, and number of ballots. In the wake of the controversial November election, Georgia lawmakers have moved to disallow Zuckerberg-style private funding of election administration, among other reforms. Yeah, well, you didn't do it fast enough, and you should do it retroactively, because what we have is a completely fraudulent election. And I'm going to leave you with this. It's not political, and it might seem off-brand, but this is what life Was like in Los Angeles. This is what I observed, I should say. I don't spend my time associating with these people, but these are the Obamis that you need to watch out for. Okay. Now, this article is on Apple News, but uh, it's from BuzzFeed. People who are friends with influencers are revealing what their lives are really like, and it's actually depressing. Subheadline She became a horrible self centered bully. No shit. This is what social media does to people. This is what celebrities are like. This is what social media influencers are like. All of them, not quite. Most of them, a hundred percent. Family and uh, friends and family members of social media influencers are anonymously sharing stories about what they're really like behind the scenes. And all I can say is, yikes! Yikes! It all started when Reddit user uh U Super Fun City asked. IRL friends of social media influencers, what is it like? The thread quickly went viral. Here are some of the top voted responses. One, she hasn't come to anything I've invited her to in five years because she only goes to events that, quote, further her business. She regularly says things like, quote, we're all using each other for something. She still reaches out to me multiple times a year and claims I'm one of her best friends, but it sure doesn't feel like it. I've told her as much, but she just says, This is my life now. My business comes first. And if you can't accept that, then I guess you're not a real friend. Two, it's annoying as fuck. One of my buddies is constantly filming everything we do and posting it. It dominates everything he does and has severely impacted his personal relationships. He can't keep a girlfriend, and it's clearly related to this obsession of his. After pretty much kicking him out of my life because I do not want to be continually posted online, we've come to the understanding that when he's about to take a pic or video, he hands me the phone so I'm not in the shot. Works okay for me. Three, I dated one. Not super popular, but followers in the 100,000 range last time we spoke. I remember a lot of getting ignored and only receiving nice gifts or acts of kindness when they could post about it. Asking me to go to nice places, they didn't drive, only to leave me on a bench somewhere while they took pictures. Huge strain on the relationship, especially when they started to get bigger and there was more demand for content. Four, friends with a high-profile athlete who is pretty popular on Insta. He is always on his phone, never lives in the moment. If we are doing anything fun, well, it basically didn't happen unless the world knows about it. It's just annoying. I can't imagine living for the approval or satisfaction of others. Five, I know a wannabe influencer. She will reply to her own posts from her husband's account praising herself. Then she will reply to those posts as herself thanking him. It's hilarious, like Inception for Facebook. Six, to be honest, it's really shit. I feel like I've been completely forgotten about and like I don't matter anymore. I think that's just some weird misguided jealousy, but it still hurts because I miss talking to my friend. Seven. Sad. In the beginning, they started because they got offers from brands because they were so popular. These people can't even write sentences. So, I mean, whatever. Of course they're friends with influencers. Because they were so popular on Instagram and it was a lot of fun for them. Now they don't ever post pictures or videos without a filter. Rarely ever like a picture on the first try, and you don't dare post any pictures of them without approval. Imagine trying to get a group picture with all your friends for your birthday, but having to take almost 100 shots to get one that your influencer friend is happy with. Yup. Eight, she became a horrible self-centered bully. Yes, that's a great one. Nine, well, nine is nearly unreadable, so I'm not going to do that one. And then I'll stop at 10. So here's 10. Awful. One of my best friends fell real hard into Instagram. And for a few years, it was tolerable and understandable, albeit annoying and strange. Everything needs to be documented in specific ways. So lots and lots of photos, even if it took away from the moment. But the strange part was how, when she'd share things, the captions always told a slightly different story than what actually happened. Like just off enough for me and my other friends to say, huh. That has a weird quality to it. Yeah, the quality that you're not understanding is dishonesty. Now, I'm just going to say a few personal things at the end because I don't like to talk too much about myself. And then I'm going to get going. But this is actually what I witnessed all the time. And I also witnessed this from people who had been my friends for a long time their life got more and more and more like this. Everything they did had to be seen by someone else. And so if it wasn't that they wanted to post it online, they would at least invite other people over who also do the same things so that they could all know these things are happening. They became very strict about which people would be invited to which things. And you would notice things like, extravagant outfits for dinner, or going to particular restaurants rather than other restaurants for the backgrounds that they might be able to shoot in their pictures. These people are all complete and total frauds, okay? There are really, really, and I know way too many of these people, but there are really so very few influencers and celebrities who are really worth knowing at all. Their entire life is just an outward projection of narcissism that masks an insane level of insecurity. And when I first started talking about how COVID was bullshit, and then when I started supporting Trump and talking about that, I made a very conscious decision that these people would know, lo- you know, they were gonna reject me from their lives. And the decision that I made was that I was fine with that, and that I welcomed it. And that, like, you know, we've heard Trump say in these little video clips the last couple months, he actually was like looking forward to know what it would be like to lose everything to see who would still be around. And now, you know, I didn't have that everything to lose. And that wasn't the exact process of my experience. But it was basically like I am going to do something that none of these people will be able to tolerate publicly unless they have genuine personalities and genuinely care about relationships. And it turns out I was exactly right. And I lost a good 75 to 90% of those people. I do not miss them at all. I cannot be more clear about that and more honest about that. I am so happy that those people showed me who they are and that they are now out of my life. I'm talking about celebrities whose weddings I was in. Like I was a groomsman and now they are out of my life because I supported Donald Trump, one of them texted me, blaming me, blaming me for what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, and told me that I was never allowed around his family again. That is how absurd and deranged these people are. It is a sickness, an absolute sickness. And the funny thing is that his threat that I could never be around His family, again, was A, not a problem because I don't want to be around them. At least not that the part of his family he was talking about. And the funny thing is that the rest of his family still talks to me (laughs) because he doesn't talk to them either. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at. That's what kind of people we're talking about here. So here's a perfect example like this in a nutshell is what's wrong with the Obamis. And all of these people are Obamis. They are political for show. They know absolutely nothing. And they want credit for looking like they are conscientious and woke and nice. They are not any of those things. They are narcissistic, self-obsessed, and only care about their personal brand. On that happy note... I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work and never have. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and parlor at I'm your moderator. Soon I'll be up on rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'mYourModerator.substack.com, I'm your where you can donate or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching. Be reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app.